We are going to be reading from Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 through 34 from the Common English Bible. Please stand for the gospel reading. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus along with her sons. Bowing before him, she asked a favor of him. What do you want? He asked. She responded, Say that these two sons of mine will sit, one on your right hand and one on your left, in your kingdom. Jesus replied, You don't know what you're asking. Can you drink from the cup that I'm about to drink from? They said to him, We can. He said to them, You will drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left hand is not mine to give. It belongs to those for whom my father prepared it. Now when the other ten disciples heard about this, they became angry with the two brothers. But Jesus called them over and said, You know that those who rule the Gentiles show off their authority over them, and their high-ranking officials order them around. But that's not the way it will be with you. Whoever wants to be great among you will be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you will be your slave. Just as the human one didn't come to be served, but rather to serve and to give his life to liberate many people. As Jesus and his disciples were going out of Jericho, a large crowd followed him. When two blind men sitting along the road heard that Jesus was passing by, they shouted, Show us mercy, Lord, son of David. Now the crowd scolded them and told them to be quiet. But they shouted even louder, Show us mercy, Lord, son of David. Jesus stopped in his tracks and called to them. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. Lord, we want to see, they replied. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they were able to see and they followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Let's pray together. Lord, how we thank you for these powerful words from a powerful God. And thank you that you are here this morning for your people. Open our eyes like the blind men beside the road. So often life seems so confusing. You are the one, you are the only one who can provide us the truth that we need for life. For we pray in Christ's strong name. Amen. So good to be with you this morning, um, especially for those of you who are online. I'm Art Brown as interim pastor here at First Free Methodist Church for these months, and my wife Sylvia and I are just having the most delightful time getting to know people and sensing what God is doing within this congregation. I wanted to add a little word, additional word, in terms of extravaganza. Um, you know, it, actually, th this is good news for those of you that, us, that otherwise wouldn't have a reason to be part of this party. The good news is Stephanie still needs help. I'm not sure how many people she can use, but I'm going to encourage her 
to sign up everybody who's willing to come because this is fun. Um, usually you'd have to have a grandchild there or at least a close relative that was looking for eggs. But in this case, you can be one of the staff and we'll, Sylvia and I will spend the morning uh, helping to distribute, hide those eggs and then uh, hanging around, getting to know people, watching the, the children have a great time finding them. And then, uh, you know, I think they're going to have pizza served. So, uh, you know, come if you can. Email Stephanie at ffmc.org. Let her know that you can come or just let me know. I'll take your name and uh, make sure she gets that word. You know, there are so many things about living life and following Jesus that at times are so confusing to me. And one of the reasons the Bible means so much to me is that over and over again, when I come to a part of the scripture, like this one this morning, a part of reality comes clear that otherwise was very, very fuzzy. Now, sometimes <clears throat> it's something that I, I should know because God has told me it before, but in the blur of life, it's not as clear as it should be. At other times, it's just simply, wow, God, that's the reason things happen the way they do. And I believe that's why Matthew took these two stories out of the life of Jesus. And you can just wonder how many other things happened in the life of Jesus that are not recorded in the gospel. But these two stories, Matthew, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that's the way we believe this was written, Matthew realizes that these are two stories that not only do people need to remember and, and read, but also these are two stories that happened right next to each other for a reason. In this case, helping us understand that blindness can not only be physical, but blindness can be spiritual. There are things that probably we should know or should understand that in a fallen world in which we live just do not come clear to us. And, you know, you've probably had the experience, I have, where something dawned on us and all of a sudden we said, you know, how could I have missed that? It was there all the time. And I think that's part of what Jesus is trying to do with his disciples on this occasion and wants to do in us and for us as we'll let him do that. Um, two stories. The first, Jesus is on his way out of Jericho and uh, he's teaching and James and John's mother comes up to him, along with her sons, I'm sure, and says, you know, I would like my sons to have the kind of place in the kingdom they deserve. Um, 
many commentators believe James and John were Jesus's cousins, that their mother and Mary, the mother of our Lord, were sisters. So comes to Jesus and said, I'd like to have them have that place in the kingdom they deserve. Probably one of them, you're going to be president. One of them should be first vice president and the other should be second vice president. And Jesus has to use that moment because the disciples are infuriated in terms of what's taken place. Why in the world would these two men want to leverage the, you know, human relationship they have with Jesus to put themselves in a place that really, it doesn't make any sense to us. Um, before we judge James and John too quickly, it's valuable to remember that, that these were pretty powerful men of the kingdom. James would be the very first martyr in the kingdom, leader of the church in Jerusalem, and John, you know, we read his gospel, also the revelation, letters that he wrote. We, you know, he was in exile on Patmos for years, maybe the rest of his life. These were strong men of faith. When, when I think of this incident, I can't help but thinking of my own son, Sylvia and I, my son, uh, uh, Matthew, uh, and wondering would one of us have done this sort of thing for him? Uh, some of you know that for the last five years, uh, we have lived within a mile, as the crow flies, of all nine of our grandchildren. Now, it's not going to continue too much longer because Matthew, along with his wife, Anna Lee, and Porter, and Wilder, and Liliana, fourth grade, second grade, and two and a half years old, are going to move to Asheville, North Carolina. Not far away, you don't have to get on a plane, but it is a four or five hour trip in the car winding through the mountains. And I thought to myself, okay, so they're moving because Anna Lee has an awesome job opportunity. She's in the middle of a PhD program in counseling training. She's a counselor. And she's now all but her dissertation. And in the middle of that, she has the invitation to come and teach in a graduate school for other counselors. It's exactly what she's prepared for and what she wants to do. So we believe this is just a great opportunity for her and therefore for their whole family. Now for Matthew, it's something else. Many of you have lived in this life where, you know, either husband or wife ends up getting a job opportunity and, you know, you got, there's only one job, so somebody's going to have to find another job where you're traveling to. So Matthew is a therapist, a counselor, and about a year ago, he, he began private practice, and he is doing very well. It's a great opportunity. He's good at what he does. Now, he has to pick up from Lexington, Kentucky, where he's at, and he has to go to Asheville, and he has to start all over again. We're just not sure how this is all going to work. Um, private practice doesn't happen immediately, quickly in every place. 
And I thought to myself, okay, so I, if I knew somebody in Asheville who had some influence in terms of a job and some connections with Matt, for Matthew, would anyone fault me if I called them up on the phone or in some other way got a hold of them and said, you know, Matt is gifted in what he does. He's an opportunity if you have a job for him. You know, that's the kind of situation that James and John's mother was a part of. Uh, but Jesus looked at it totally differently. And challenge, he in fact he used it as a teaching opportunity to help these disciples, not just James and John, who probably were out of bounds. You'll have to judge for yourself on that. And certainly for the other disciples who are angry because they were trying to get their mom to put them in a special place. Jesus uses this as an opportunity to teach them about leadership in the kingdom. He redefined greatness and leadership and servanthood. Um, verses 26 and 27 and 28, we see where he says, you think it's that greatness is being first. Actually, greatness is being a servant of other people. Or you think that leadership is telling other people what to do when really leadership is slavery. And you think that ministry is the easy things that you might get to do, but actually ministry only includes sacrifice. So Jesus challenges these disciples. It's an upside down part of a uh, view of life that they have. And he wants to open their eyes and give them a right side up view of how you go upon, uh, about life. Um, even you know, secular, uh, the secular sector today has realized that there, there's a reality to this, that if you are the manager, you're going to be the one that has to make sure it gets done. Before the early service, somebody was seeing something I was doing, and they said, you know, I ended up doing those kinds of things. It wasn't my job, but it hadn't been done, and so I had to do it. I mean, if you're a manager, um, responsibility to oversee means often that you have to do things that just haven't been done in some other way. Jesus is showing us another view of life that even the secular sector has, to a certain extent, not very much, but to a certain extent, has realized today. John Ortberg is one of those authors that uh, often has meant a great deal to me. And, and he took this concept and he said that there are certain kind of realities that you have to hold in tension. Uh, we have a slide that uh, describes this somewhat. Uh, and it's balancing the tension of being a leader who's also a servant. 
and he has these five different things that he suggests we might balance. Uh, part of the reason why this is meaningful to me is because uh, uh, John Ortberg has had a very difficult a couple of years. Some of you may be familiar with that because maybe a little bit like James and John's mother, he, had, he dealt with the situation and probably made a wrong choice because he was trying to be supportive of one of his children. Uh, but the truths are still really, really important. If you balance those, you figure out a way to be decisive and submissive at the same time. I get to know my wife, Sylvia. She is really good at this, to be decisive. It's just built into her. She can tell you more about that. She, learn how to have a tough-minded accountability and a tender-hearted compassion, or be utterly resourceful and that yet utterly dependent upon God. So we, we bring everything we have to a task that God's called us to do. But then when we've given it all to him, we realize that he, unless he decides to be part of that, none of that means anything at all. Have a sense of urgency and a relaxed attitude. Um, some of you can help me understand that better, but I think Ortberg's right. Uh, practice solitude and community. Uh, so it's Ortberg's way of trying to say, yes, what Jesus was teaching his disciples, helping them understand this very important truth about life, is just as important today, even though it's very difficult. So we have the two stories. First, the story of the disciples wanting to be first and second vice president in a kingdom that wasn't even going to be what they thought it was going to be. First, we have that story. Then, on the way out of Jericho, we see Jesus probably teaching as he was traveling and two blind men screaming from the side, saying, Jesus, son, of David, have mercy on us. The crowd, probably not really being interested in Jesus being interrupted, tries to silence these two blind men, but they will not be silenced. And so Jesus now, he, he actually models the kind of leadership that he's just been teaching about. And he stops, he looks at them, he touches them, he connects with them. Uh, you know, we have three words that we try to use to challenge ourselves in terms of ministry here at First Free Methodist. Uh, the first is to love, that's the big picture. The second is to connect, and then is to serve. And you can't really love, and we can't really serve unless we also are able to connect. He connected with these men. He touched them. And then, and that's, this is part of connecting too, he says, what do you want me to do? And, you know, like, wasn't that obvious, most of us would say? But I think this is the way Jesus often comes to us. It's obvious to us why we're crying out, 
and we're desperate for him to do something in our lives. But he needs us to love and to trust him enough to actually ask him, to specifically say, Lord, in this situation, in this place, I don't know what to do. I don't have the resources. What can you do? Please touch me. And then Jesus does touch him and he heals them. And they were able to see and they go on and they follow him. Christ says to us, in the world in which you live, there will be so many things that aren't very clear that are hard to understand. In fact, I think he says to us, um, there's so many times that you really don't know what's going to make a difference in somebody's life. But here is the key. In those situations, what you do is you try to live like me. We're told that in the Alamo, you know, that's that tiny fort outside of um, San Antonio, Texas, where the, the uh, rebellious Texans sort of made a last stand against the power of the Mexican Empire, and it was actually the beginning of the state of Texas, the nation, and then the state of Texas. We're told in that, um, in that fort, there is a picture, um, and underneath the picture of this man is this statement. Uh, this is to remember James Butler Bonham. We don't have a picture of him, but this is his, I think it's his great-grandson, Major James Bonham, and he looks something like James Bonham. It's the best representation that we have. I believe that's what we are in the world. That's what Jesus is saying in terms of this right side up, look at leadership in an upside down world. We are the best example that Christ has of who he is and what he, will, what he can do. And it's as we are, live our lives that others understand who Jesus is. In just a few minutes, we want to share as we do on Sunday mornings, Holy Communion together. Uh, we're remembering the death, the sacrifice, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, as we do that, I want to encourage us to say, Lord, I want to be used by you this week. Um, I want to be able to actually model in my life the kind of, the kind of uh, leadership that the disciples perhaps came to, but that Jesus modeled in our world. I love the statement that Fred Craddock once made. He says, you know, we come to Jesus, and uh, it's like we bring him a $1,000 bill. Some of you know we have no $1,000 bills here in the U.S. Largest bill we now have is, I think, now a $100 bill. But for the sake of uh, the picture, Craddock said, 
It's like we come to Jesus and we want to give him a thousand dollar bill. And uh, take my life, Lord, and use it. And then Jesus says, thank you. And he gives us back the thousand dollar bill. And he says, take it to the bank and get quarters. And then live your life for me one quarter at a time. So I have more quarters up here than we could all possibly, I mean, if we take one apiece. And I'd like to encourage you to come and take the uh, communion elements to also stop by the, the little white uh, dishes and take one of those quarters and make it your way of saying to yourself and to the Lord, Lord, this week I'm willing and I want to live for you one quarter at a time. Uh, and if we do it, it's just so important to take it with the thought in mind, Lord, I can't do this myself, not without you doing something really powerful and miraculous in my life. But this is the kind of life I want to live. I want to live with you in a way that others see Jesus through my life. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful this morning for these two um, really powerful stories out of the life of Jesus. And we want to thank you, Lord, that uh, you lived this kind of life in a world that so often everything went in exactly the opposite direction. People looked for position and prestige and worried about their rights. And you lived as someone that wanted to even give your life in sacrifice for us. So, Father, this morning we come to receive these elements because this is sustenance to us as we remember your life and death for us. And many of us also, Lord, want to say, would you take my life this week and use it in small or great ways to represent who you are and the right-side-up world that you came to create. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.